Hello and welcome to The Curator on Monocle 24 with me, Carlotta Rubello. In this special edition of The Curator, we recap our coverage from the past 10 days as we celebrate the opening of the long-awaited Venice Architecture Biennale. It was cancelled last year or postponed. This year, not one of the exhibitors has cancelled. So it's going to be a full lineup. Everyone's feeling positive. Tourists are allowed to go to Italy now, so looking good. Plus, we meet the curators of some of the pavilions at this year's event. Basically, if you come back to the major exhibitions from the 60s and 70s, like of Super Studio, this was their role, to confront the society with the major problems that were forecast in the future. And we use architecture and we use this architectural fiction as a tool to reimagine the future that we want to live, so that we make the two steps forward in order to make one step back and think about tomorrow. All that and much, much more over the next hour here on The Curator with me, Carlotta Rubello. The Venice Architecture Biennale got underway last weekend, and one unexpected silver lining of the pandemic-induced rescheduling is that curators of the pavilions in the Giardini and exhibitions in the Arsenale have been able to sink additional time into refining their projects. The themes of this year's edition are also very much of the moment, with diversity, gender parity and climate change coming to the fore. Ideas include the abstract, such as Studio Other Spaces' future assembly, in which a United Nations assembly is reimagined as giving prominence to the Earth's natural elements, or pondering how architecture can help ease the uprootedness of refugees. And then there are more concrete projects, such as MIT's submersible wave barriers that harness wave energy to redistribute sand and, through it, rebuild islands. On this week's Curator, we follow the Monocle team as they prepare for the opening of the Biennale, discuss what we can expect from the much-anticipated event, and how, after all of the upheaval of last year, Monocle's special edition newspaper for the Venice Architecture Biennale has finally hit newsstands across Europe once more. Our first highlight takes us back to before the event opened its doors, as Monocle's editorial director, Tyler Brulé, was joined by our design editor, Nolan Giles, and writer, Nick Manis, to preview the event. Tyler began by asking Nolan to explain why this year's event is so important. Well, firstly, it's hugely important for the architecture industry. Typically, in normal times, every architect from the world will try to make it to Venice at least once in the year to see this event, which does run across the whole year. But the opening weekend is always the the time you want to be there because that's when the conversations happen. That's when the curators who create these uh, exhibitions and installations are all there. That's when the real action takes place. So this is happening on Saturday. We are getting down on Wednesday for the media preview. But like you said, we have been able to to really uh, spend a little bit of time in Venice already. We've been able to do photo shoots there. So we've seen what's happening on the ground and it's looking very good. Basically, it was cancelled last year or postponed. This year, not one of the exhibitors has cancelled. So it's going to be a full lineup. Everyone's feeling positive. Tourists are allowed to go to Italy now. So yeah. Looking good. We and we sh- we should also add uh, th- this two very important points to to this as well. 
there's a newspaper, Nick Manis, which has to get out the door as well. This is the return of Monocle's uh, newspapers, which is great. Hopefully there'll be one also for the Salone. There's that. And also, you gentlemen, I mean, I'm sort of leading the tour. You're going to be at the receiving end. Some, of course, listeners might have seen our newsletter that uh, went out last week. Uh, we invited people to join us. We've chartered a, a jazzy little uh, Pilatus, which is going to fly people down to Lido Airport. So I'm taking them. You're going to be there uh, greeting them. But maybe tell us about the, the newspaper first. What can we expect? Because that's also going to be sort of the key highlights of what's going to be happening this year. Yeah, I mean, working very closely with uh, the one and only Nolan Giles, who also has assured me I'm going to get the big bedroom at the uh, apartment we're staying in. I just wanted to get that on air. Um, no, but I mean, we're, we're talking to everyone from Hashim Sarkis, who's who's the curator for the architecture uh, Biennale. We had a really, really great chat with him just about, I guess, the importance of this. And I think, and again, the reason I'm going on about this is because it's probably my favourite favorite interview in the paper, but just talking about the importance of, of obviously coming together and having all these... That, that is just for those who might have missed, that is the theme this year as well. That is, how will we live together? And funnily enough, they actually chose that in 2018, or 2019 rather, well before uh, uh, the events of 2020 took place. So speaking to Hashim about the importance of coming together, but also a number of the, the curators and architects participating. And, and to add, I guess, to the fact that this theme was chosen in 2019 is the fact that a lot of the, I think almost all of the architects have, have continued with their original plans. They haven't, they haven't felt the need to respond, I guess, to the pandemic because the issues that they were addressing or looking to unpack were pertinent then and they'll continue to be pertinent in the, in the future. Uh, Nolan, and, and that's maybe a good point because this also probably should be a, a look-ahead platform, shouldn't it? Because, yes, it's, there's, there's been enough looking back now. So do you see there's also a bit of a, a forwarding moment, not just for the architecture and design industry, a little bit for the world in general? For sure. I mean, in terms of an event, it's something looking forward. We're all going to be there. We're going to be back in person. It's exciting, and every and I think the vibe's going to be very good. In terms of what's on display, as Nick was saying, a lot hasn't changed in what these people are offering. And I mean, I spoke to an architect in the UK called Alison Brooks. Her whole exhibition looks at the foyer space of housing. Basically, you know, so many apartments have crappy foyers where there's not much happening. It's all this dead space that could be reused in the city. There's lots of good ideas about designing better cities, about designing better homes. And, you know, in this moment when we are looking to get back out into the world, looking for new ideas, this is the place to get them. Just maybe from uh, each of you, I'll start with you, Nick, uh, a little little bit of a highlight. If there's sort of three things you're looking forward to, as soon as you touch down in, in Venice on Wednesday, what are you uh, looking forward to? Well, I'm looking forward to opening the papers. So that's not going to be on Wednesday. That's going to be on Saturday. I'm looking forward to. to I think if you behave, there'll be there'll be copies. I get Friday, a little preview. Friday afternoon for sure. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward, to particularly uh, the story, obviously, of, of you flying uh, into the airport. That's that's going to be in there. I'm particularly excited about the Catalonian Pavilion, which I've I've discussed with you previously, both of you previously. That's also going to be in the paper. It's basically trying to merge data on, on air pollution with an artistic. So you've already lost a lot of listeners know, already I, just I, now. People, I hear people switching off the radio. I'm, I'm the really world. trying to work on my my elevator pitch for this one okay. uh, and and then i think just last i think delete the word data okay data or See, data but or- this is this is <laughs> no i feel like i'm getting roasted for my accent i'm i'm, I'm <laughs> I can't help that, Tyler. Um, but uh, and then I guess lastly, just being in Venice, uh, it's been it's been a while since I've been there, and obviously I haven't been able to go back. So very excited, Nolan. 
Well, I am particularly keen to see the Korean pavilion. Uh, I have a few connections to that country and I love it, but I think what they're, they're doing is all around architecture, education, bringing design and good ideas about design to the world in this kind of giant weird classroom setup they have on their pavilion. And then also just being in the Arsenale, which is the kind of, it's almost like a giant museum just filled with installations and a lot of, I guess, lesser known architects are able to show their work to the rest of the world and just wander around there for a couple of days you get so many great ideas and so much inspiration so I'm, I'm really excited to just get lost in there for a few days and maybe your uh, guests will get lost with me too Tyler. Our very own design editor Nolan Giles and writer Nick Manis there in conversation with Monocle's editorial director Tyler Brulé. Now, as the event opened its door to the press, Monaco's Georgina Godwin caught up with Nolan to hear his first impressions and what he was looking forward to the most. Well, I can't lie. It's extremely beautiful here at the moment. I'm sat by the water, actually waiting for our uh, editorial director, Tyler Brulé, to arrive with a small delegation of uh, Monaco readers. We're doing a bit of a tour today. But in terms of the event itself, you know, we've had the press days over the last couple of days and, you know, it's been an amazing kind of preview as to what there is. Honestly, there's too much stuff to, to get around in two days. But for me personally, I think it's the more, you know, interactive, larger installations, the national pavilions where you can really immerse yourself in kind of one subject that have caught my attention so far. And do you think that the postponement of the event ultimately worked in its favour, allowing those those big installations that you're talking about more time to, to really build? Yeah, I mean, an extra year for an architect who tends to do things at the last minute, which is the case with a lot of these people, has really, really helped. So there is a really high level of polish to everything. I mean, the Danish pavilion, for example, they've actually kind of added an extra floor space to the pavilion uh, so they can kind of flood it with water. So you have this amazing stream that runs through the pavilion as they're talking, I guess, about the value of water and, you know, highlighting this element that we all take for granted and just showing, showing the kind of power of it. But generally, I think it has in a way worked in the, in the favour of the event because, like I said, there's an extra level of polish, but also it means it can kind of span out across the year in a, in a different way to what it usually does. Usually it's, you know, the big launch that we're at at the moment, and then, uh, you know, people can come visit across the year. Now that all of the curators, because many of them can't be here, are talking about another kind of big event in August and September. So it's, it's really going to feel like a year-long project, which is a really nice, uh, nice way to do this Biennale, because it means I get to come back a, a few more times, hopefully. <laughs> um, now, you were talking about water, and, and obviously climate change is, is one area where uh, architects are focusing their attention. What, what, what other themes are there this year? Well, the overall theme is, you know, how we will live together. So that can obviously be interpreted in many different ways. Some of the uh, exhibitions that have really caught my imagination are actually looking at Venice itself because, you know, it's a kind of a microcosm of, of how we will live together, climate change, mass tourism, all these different things coming together. And there's one particular uh, piece by a studio called Studio LA, and it's called City to Dust. And it's basically kind of reflecting on a crumbling Venice. And as you kind of walk through their installation, these, all, the, all these beautiful tiles uh, that show a map of Venice basically on the floor, but they're slowly getting destroyed as you're walking through and they're kind of documenting, you know, over, over the next six months, they're going to take photos of just this floor and just see it kind of crumble and crumble and crumble. And it's a, a kind of a very beautiful metaphor for what's happening in Venice. Mm. Now, we have a special newspaper out all about this. What can readers expect? 
Yeah, so we sent our uh, special Venice Biennale newspaper off to print last night. It's essentially, I guess, for people that are here on the ground who, who are traveling to the event, a little guide as to, you know, the, the things that we think are important, the, the, the uh, exhibitions they should, they should see, the restaurants they should eat at. But also it's a bit of inspiration for those that can't be here and hopefully a bit of a, it'll provide a bit of an incentive um, for people to come and visit Venice. So, yeah, beautifully produced broadsheet newspaper out on newsstands on Saturday across Europe which I'm very excited about. I'm not sure I can bear to read it, reading about all the wonderful things you're doing and that one could do if one was in Venice. I mean, yesterday we spoke to Nick Monis about being in this wonderful kind of tourist-free place, uh, and he was giddy with the joy of it. Uh, how are you finding it? Yeah, I mean, I think after you spoke to Nick yesterday, the sun came out and it just was an incredible day. And actually, there are traces of tourism, you know. It is slowly coming back here they have italy is is slowly reopening things vendors were out on the streets selling things there was a you know a few people walking around with with selfie sticks but it was a manageable level of of tourism and um i mean just the fact that there's the focus on the biennale there there are a lot of architects that have flown in from places as far as the u.s so it does feel i guess for all these amazing talented you know creative people that they've got this beautiful city almost to themselves i think everyone's really very inspired and it won't be too long until you're here, Georgina, I'm sure. Yeah, but along with the rest of the tourists, it's not the same that way. <laughs> um, just finally, I understand that um, you were saying earlier uh, that Tyler Brule, our editorial director, is there with a very special, very small select group of Monocle subscribers. Now, these are people who have uh, been subscribers for, for a long time and have been invited on, on what? This, uh, tell us what, 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 what they're getting. Uh, I'm worried I'm going to make you even more jealous. They're, they're, they're essentially, uh, they've chartered a small plane and they're flying in from Zurich. So it's Tyler, five of our kind of VIP pop subscribers, landing at this very small uh, airport on the island of Lido, which is uh, a really beautiful experience too. It's a, it's a grass runway. It's an old 1930s building. From there, they're going to hop on a water taxi and meet Nick and I uh, for a kind of a grand tour of the Giardini, where the National Pavilions are, and the Arsenale, where lots of exhibitions are. So there's a little bit of pressure on Nick and I to perform today. <laughs> I'm quite sure. But you'll be showing them your, your standouts. And so the last thing really is, what is your ultimate uh, thing that you, would, that you would point out to, to them and indeed to us? I mean, it's hard to say what my ultimate thing is, but I think the pavilion I'm most kind of surprised by and impressed by is the British pavilion, actually, because last year there was, uh, you know, there was a lot of different reactions about their pavilion, which essentially was just empty and highlighting the kind of building. Whereas this year they've really honed in on a very important topic in the UK and more broadly, which is the privatization of public space. And, you know, essentially how we can use these spaces like pubs in the UK to actually build better communities. Uh And it's, it's uh, beautifully produced. It, it's not afraid to you know, take take a little bit of fun. Sorry, make a little bit of fun of, of the Brits and themselves. And I just think it's a, a really lovely, inspiring piece. So I, I definitely recommend checking that one out. Nolan Giles, Monaco's design editor there in conversation with Georgina Godwin for The Globalist. Now, with Team Monocle in Venice for the Biennale and with hopes high for a step towards a reopening and the revival of the city, Andrew Muller caught up with Tyler Brulé to run through some of the big names attending the preview days. Well, judging by the amount of secret service uh, that are around the U.S. Uh, pavilion, uh, definitely the U.S. ambassador, uh, he's, uh, he's on a tour. Uh, and this is probably a day that there was a, a pretty big shuttle up from Rome to Venice, Andrew, with, uh, of course, lots of 
cultural attaches, uh, certainly lots of uh, ambassadors uh, you know, who are really out in force today, actually, and a lot of ministers who have flown in from overseas as well. Uh, so this is kind of the, the last day, which is for press and VIPs, and then come tomorrow morning, uh, the, the Biennale throws its doors open to the general public. Uh, how much anticipation are you detecting in Venice for that grand opening? I, I guess what I'm asking here is, how does Venice feel this May as, you know, opposed to a usual May in Venice, by which time uh, it is already obviously completely heaving? Well, I, I'm standing in the sunshine, so this is good news, because if this was May any other year, I'd be in the shadow of a very large carnival cruise liner, uh, potentially. So yeah, it, it, anyone who's been to Venice really over the last 15 or, or 20 years, one of the striking things is just the lack of uh, ships. Uh, of course, uh, you know, many of the big companies are not out at sea. And of course, the city itself is also talking about how they are going to create a new relationship uh, with the cruise liners. Uh, will you have these mega ships coming in? Uh, so that part is missing. Uh, but at the same time, you do feel that the city is is, you know, they're ready to host. I'm, I'm speaking to you uh, from the terrace at the Cipriani. It's, it's busy. There are not just visitors to the Biennale. There are, there are tourists here, some even with American accents. Uh, so, uh, you know, whether those are expats living here or people have found their way into Europe, uh, you know, hard to say. But it, it does feel like it's opening up, Andrew. And what are the high points of the exhibitions itself for you so far? Well, they're trying to wrestle, and it, well, the wrestling with the topic uh, or the thesis is, is really built around this notion of how will we live together. Now, of course, the Biennale has been paused, uh, so this is, of course, uh, it's come back after you know a one-year break. But it's interesting that you know obviously most countries have stuck with the same theme and, and talk about a theme which um, you know could never be more relevant. Uh, so you have. If we, if we went to the U.S. pavilion, uh, it was very interesting just looking at they, they had a commentary on on the notion of, of U.S. residential construction, uh, the, the, you know, the wood frame house, how that's a commentary uh, on America, the speed at which you can construct things. Uh, the Swiss, it may be a classically Swiss topic, uh, dealing with the border regions and, and that, you know, certainly the crisscrossing of borders between France and Italy and, and Germany and Austria what does that relationship look like on, on frontiers? Uh, and then you've had, the, you know, you've had um, the Greeks trying to rethink Thessaloniki, and then they've built a great thesis around the, the regeneration of one of the major boulevards. And again, that interface of, of what will a city look like in a world of e- increased e-commerce uh, as, as much as also city cores being emptied out. And as I suggested at the top, there is a, a small delegation from Monocle present in Venice. Uh, what are we doing there? <laughs> well, we're, I, I can see if I if I look at uh, my colleagues, um, I, I think they're waiting for. And these are, these would be Australians. You should point <laughs> this out that there there are two Australians in, in the midst. So I think they're they're not just bringing over um, some nice frost glasses. I think there might be a keg uh, rolling in. Uh, and then we're doing something new, Andrew. We've also uh, we, we've we've got five subscribers uh, with us as well, uh, and we we brought them on a bit of a guided tour today. And uh, we flew down from Zurich this morning, and we're going to fly back. Monocle's Tale Brulé there in conversation with Andrew Muller on the briefing. Still to come here on the special edition of The Curator, we stop off at the Grenada Pavilion to speak to the curator and director Brian Bulen. We explore the Polish pavilion to learn about an installation called Trouble in Paradise, examining tensions in the Polish countryside. And we peel open the pages of Monocle's special edition newspaper for the Venice Architecture Biennale. Stay tuned. Thank you.
UBS is a global financial services firm with over 150 years of heritage. Built on the unique dedication of our people, we bring fresh thinking and perspective to our work. We know that it takes a marriage of intelligence and heart to create lasting value for our clients. It's about having the right ideas, of course, but also about having one of the most accomplished systems and an unrivaled network of global experts. That's why at UBS, we pride ourselves on thinking smarter to make a real difference. Tune in to The Bulletin with UBS every week for the latest insights and opinions from UBS all around the world. They say you host the Monocle Daily for two stints in your career, once on your way up and once on your way down. It's good to be back. The Monocle Daily is returning as Monocle 24's early evening show. Live from London and Zurich every weekday at 1800 London time, the Monocle Daily will review the day's events in Europe, follow developing stories in the Americas, and welcome early risers in Asia and Australasia. The Monocle Daily will feature reports and analysis from Monocle staff and correspondents around the world and a host of fresh features taking a wider, deeper or lighter look at the news. Join us from Monday, June 7th for the Monocle Daily every weekday at 1800 London time, 1300 on the east coast of the US, here on Monocle 24. You're with The Curator, our weekly highlights show here on Monocle 24, and I'm Carlotta Ribello. Now open to the public, the Venice Biennale of Architecture is an opportunity for participants and visitors alike to reflect on architecture's role in solving some of the biggest issues in contemporary society. The theme this year hopes to address a rather pressing question. How will we live together? Set by the architect and scholar Hashim Sarkis. To discuss this raison d'être and the numerous pavilions' approaches, Monocle's design editor Nolan Giles was joined by Nick Manis, who was also in Venice for the preview. I mean, it was it was perfectly timed, wasn't it? I think I think the forecast was meant to be rainy, basically for all all three of those press days. Uh, and look, I, I don't know if you arranged something with the press office, Nolan, or or, or what happened there. Uh, but but we managed to have three amazing days of sunshine. Uh, and that's that's not to say that you know it was it was cause for for slacking off. It was it was hard work. You know, obviously seeing the Giardini, the Arsenale, and all the exhibitions, meeting architects and curators. But I guess you know we also maybe enjoyed uh, some some Venetian food and and maybe a few beers on the canal too. We lived it up a little bit there, but let's not talk about that too much. Let's talk about the design and architecture that we saw because this was really the first big international event for the industry. And, you know, it was a bit of a free-for-all. There was so many people there. It was surprising how busy it was. It was pretty inspiring, the level of quality of these uh, pavilions and these exhibitions because they did have an extra year to prepare for the event. So, Nick, if you were to list, let's say, three, we're not going to call them your top three because there's just so many brilliant uh, pieces of design there, but what three pieces kind of really stood out to you and why? 
I mean, I think for starters, and, and I know this is a, a favourite of yours, so I hope I'm not treading on your toes, but I think the, the Danish pavilion was particularly strong. The whole idea of the Biennale is to address pressing architectural challenges or, or design challenges within the built environment more broadly. And, and because that's such a broad scope, it, it, it's very easy to maybe get a little bit confused and to try and deal with too much at once. So what I liked about the Danish pavilion was that it had a really simple and clear concept, which was looking at our relationship with water by actually flooding their pavilion in this in this one grand gesture. And I, I thought that was a really strong concept. I guess the other one that I particularly liked is the Japanese pavilion, which imported an abandoned family home from Japan and, and I guess spread it out, deconstructed across the pavilion's interior, it sort of let you see how materials and their use developed over time, but also showed how the people who lived in it grew and evolved with the house. I guess it was just really moving and beautiful. And then probably I'm just going to say for the last one, that I think I'd, I'd pick the Hungarian one. I like that they were dealing with, uh, I guess, socialist modernist housing, which for me is something that's particularly beautiful. But what I didn't realise was that perhaps the people that are living in Hungary don't appreciate it as much perhaps due to the legacy of communism that it's associated with. And you, you've done very well in teasing some of these stories because we are going to unpack both the Danish pavilion and the Hungarian pavilion later in the show. Uh, and, you know, while I was busy, you know, making sure I got enough sunshine and had enough coffees, you, you spent a lot of time interviewing various people, including the curator Hashim Sarkis. And I understand you've got some clips from this conversation that you'd like to share with us. I mean, those three pavilions and, and, and the National Pavilions and, uh, and other exhibitions were responding to the theme of how will we live together, which was set by Hashim Sarkis. And I was talking to him about the theme and, and why he picked it and how he picked it. And I asked him why he thought architects were best placed to answer that question. And, and this is what he had to say. I believe that we've been waiting for too long for politicians to tell us how can we live together or how will we live together. And the answers are not coming and they are not, even when they come, they are actually quite timid. And there's an overlap between architecture and politics in that way, because we actually do craft spaces where people come together. If that is the central political question, then why don't we take it on and rehearse it, propose alternatives, say, what if it could be this way? What if it could be that way? And we have a closer relationship with people than politics. <laughs> they live in architecture. They move from one building to another. And in every building, they rehearse the possibilities of living together based on law, social customs, familial relationships, habits. So we are much closer to answering that question than other fields are. And let's take it on. What an incredibly articulate uh, talker Hashim is there, kind of unpacking this idea about the overlap between architecture and politics and the role that architects play in, you know, making political statements and, and having their voices heard. Because as he mentioned, you know, they are the ones that are putting us in houses. They are the ones that are making us live in cities in, in the way that they're designing. It's interesting to look at this kind of statement through the lens of the city of Venice itself, because there were some efforts there that highlighted, you know, the problems the city had, how the government can better engage with the city. And, you know, some things have changed there for the better. They've created a policy where there's no cruise ships allowed into the terminal, which 
these kind of cruisers had a huge impact on the city because they were they were coming in, spending a lot of time, but not a lot of money kind of wandering around. And it was not very good for the city's economy. And I think one of the pieces that reflected this at the Biennale was from a Dutch outfit called LA Studio. And they did something that was, you know, simple in execution, but super powerful in its meaning, which was they laid out a map of Venice uh, that was created through tiles on the floor in the Arsenale building. And as people stepped across it, the tiles actually broke and cracked. And firsthand, there was this huge metaphor around the deterioration of the city that people could really experience. Nick, you saw a lot of things. Was there anything else that maybe uh, caught your eye in terms of this idea about architects influencing policy? It's the fact that we're all touched by architecture every day, so it's impossible to escape it. And I was sort of chatting about this exact thing with with the German curators, the German pavilion, Olaf Grauert and Christopher Roth, about the need for architects to play a more prominent role in politics. And actually, rather than just waiting for standards and, and requirements to be dictated to them about, say, climate change, you know, as, as Hashim was talking about there, or, or say, equality when it comes to housing, you know, having architects actually go out there and take public office where they can have real influence in policy and, and the direction of, of the built form. You know, I think architects have, have been studying and working on these pressing challenges for as long as the profession's been around. And I think if some of these people are in positions of power, you know, the, the built environment and the world as a whole can be in a better position, you know, and, and that's something that LA Studio, who you mentioned there, have tried to do in their work at the Biennale, uh, which Hashim actually talks about in this next clip we've got queued up. And, and that is the relationship between Venice, architecture and, and its environment and what the lessons here could mean for the, for the broader world, you know, to hopefully perhaps inspire people to take charge and take a more active role in, in shaping built environments everywhere. Venice has it in its air, stone, water, everything you touch is all of the arts at once. But I do want to say also about Venice today in relationship to this theme. We've dedicated a whole room for Venice. And it has a lot to do with the fact that we owe Venice for having been resilient, for having fought the fight, for having gone through everything it has gone through. And that's very important. The high waters is an issue. Tourism is an issue. The pandemic has been an issue. The vulnerability of history and historic cities is an issue. The arts is an issue. And I think we see in Venice a place where these problems converge. And yet, it, because it is Venice, the world is paying attention. The world is rallying to save Venice. It would probably not have happened in another city. It's the beauty of Venice that is attracting the world to save Venice's problem. And it's the beauty of Venice that is going to save the world. It's definitely a, a beautiful city. And as I mentioned before, you know, there were a lot of uh, exhibitions that uh, addressed the city and showed, you know, the efforts that were being made there and the problems that the city had in terms of its recovery from uh, kind of being battered around over the last few decades by tourism. But one thing he talks about there is this problem that we have with the planet, a pretty big and bleak problem in terms of global warming and rising sea levels and everything like that. This is something that you've also written about, Nick, in our Venice Architecture Biennale newspaper, which is on newsstands at the moment. Could you just quickly share with us maybe a, a few thoughts on where this commentary around climate change worked best at the Biennale? 
I think when we're talking about climate change, you know, when, when we're talking about the impact of elements on cities and, and the way and the way we live, what Hashim was touching on there and what I guess I was writing about is that it really comes to the fore in places like Venice, you know, places that I guess are threatened by air pollution, threatened by rising sea levels, you know, and, and Venice itself is on sinking land. As we've alluded to, as, as Hashim said, Venice at the same time is, is obviously not alone. The UAE's entry by the Dubai-based studio YY, which, which looks at how we can use nature as, as inspiration when making products from which to build with. So they've developed some new cement that makes use of, of salty environmental waste from desalination plants. You know, and the, the idea for that came from the salt flats or looking at the salt flats and studying the salt flats at the UAE. And what we see with exhibitions like this is that there's an opportunity to work with nature to, to minimise the human impact on the environment, yes, to fight climate change, but also to turn to the elements for inspiration and, and to potentially work with them. You know, and, and that's something they've done in Venice for centuries, obviously. This is a city built on marshes and sandbanks. This is a city that's about working with the environment, working and embracing what it offers and, and testing and learning from it. Monocle's Nick Manise and Nolan Giles there in conversation on this week's edition of Monocle on Design. One of the most important aspects of the Biennale is that it offers opportunities to engage with the work of a range of architects from all over the world. One new entry into the Architecture Biennale this year was the Caribbean nation of Grenada. The Monocle on Design team spoke to Brian Boulen, the Grenada Pavilion curator and director of the Caribbean Office of Cooperative Architecture, or COCOA. Brian shared how the island nation is making their debut with their entry titled Coethos. Our project really focuses on the revitalization of uh, St. George's. Uh, St. George's is our capital town of Grenada. It's a wonderful town. It's a historical town. You know, we've got beautiful Georgian buildings. The buildings cascade down the mountainside. We have forts which overlook the the town. Over the last couple of decades, um, the urban fabric of the town has been somewhat eroded, partly due to an increase in traffic, which has been a major problem. Also, there's you know a need for general upgrade of the infrastructure, stormwater management, you know, protection of the coast. In addition, things like the restoration of our historical buildings, which we haven't done a very good job at. Now, in terms of how our project addresses, you know, what we've done is um, a presentation is in really two parts. We've done a, a short film on the, the making of the Grenada House of Parliament. And so it describes, you know, the building itself and, you know, the design concept behind it. It's sort of initial thought of it, I guess, is a fort, which is, you know, the founding buildings of St. George's. There's an incorporation of, you know, sort of local contextual things. We have, uh, for example, you know, the crafts of boat building, which we have on our sister island that's also been a sort of integral part of the sort of formal quality of the building. That's the one part part of our exhibition. The second is that we've designed a um, promenade for the Carinage, which is our harbor. The promenade, it does two things. It provides coastal protection, which is very important. And then secondly, it also becomes a place where we're getting lost sort of civic space. We're regaining that. So it becomes a place of leisure, it's all enhancing St. George's, you know, looking at different ways that we can begin to revitalize the town. 
The exhibition will contain some graphics, which will be really a description both of the Grenada House of Parliament and describing how that building came about. And then secondly, there's a, another set of graphics which has the, the Caronage project. Now, sort of central to that will be the, the film. And the film itself, it is actually, it'll really tell the story in terms of St. George's and, and what our intentions are and you know, what, what we hope to have happen with St. George's you know, moving forward. You know, Grenada has participated in the Art Biennale. So in some ways, this is continuity of that, I think is quite important for us. Strengthening our contacts outside and, you know, creating a network, I think is also quite important. It's important for the country itself because it, it gives us the opportunity to feature, you know, our culture, our architecture, just the general beauty of our place, showcasing, you know, the island's architecture. Also, just to begin the sort of conversation about, you know, historical preservation and you know, urban renewal and climate resilience. I mean, all of these things, I think, are concerns globally, but also to look at how, from a local perspective as well, I think it's also very important for us to have that. Well, the Venice Biennale is, I mean, by far one of the, the renowned architectural exhibitions in the world. And so I think that having the opportunity to do that and for us to feature our work, and I, I would say this, that it's Grenada, but it's also the Caribbean, because I think that, you know, there've been very few, if I recall correctly, Puerto Rico, I think is probably the only one that has featured from our region. So it's also a representation of the region and type of architecture that's coming out of here. Architecture is still formulating. I think that, you know, we've come out, you know, this is sort of post-colonial experience, but I think that the important thing, at least from our practice, is that we try our best to design architecture which responds to its local context. And so what that means is that the use of materials, things that work for the environment, we're in a tropical environment, so considerations for how one builds, and really to find expression through that to make sensible choices for building and create environments where, you know, really promoting good spaces for people to occupy. Brian Bullen of the Granada Pavilion there for this week's installment of Monocle on Design. Another Monocle show that focused on the Venice Architecture Biennale this week was The Urbanist, and that's where our next highlight comes from. The world is becoming ever more urbanized and with it the countryside ever more depopulated. In fact, the tension between rural areas and cities will be one of the defining themes of the 21st century, even spilling over into politics. At the Venice Biennale, the Polish pavilion has commissioned an installation called Trouble in Paradise, examining these tensions in the Polish countryside, some of them the legacy of socialism, and looking at new ways to revitalize housing there, connect with cities and improve quality of life. Ed Stocker spoke to the co-curator Rafal Schliwa from Venice's Giardini. We enter into a singular space in which we are somehow embraced by this 70-meter-long object, this is the curtain on which we have printed so-called panorama of the Polish countryside. It is a fictional landscape, a place when everyone can recognize, but no one knows where it is, because it's constructed, right? 
you do recognize in here the energy landscape. At the same time, when you move around and stroll through the pavilion, you notice that there are some villages appearing, the traditional ones from the pre-war period, then the socialist one in the very middle with the so-called platinum buildings and the animal husbandries, so-called state agricultural farms. Then you go and follow along the curtain and you find up their more contemporary condition of the landscape. These are the cube houses from 90s. Then you turn around and you see another somehow important elements in the landscape. These are the energy pylons up there which somehow make a very important impact on the visual orientation in the landscape. So you come along this curtain and then you find yourself at the exit where you actually came from and you find yourself at the network of the roads which is somehow another part of the perception inside of the countryside. Architecture is so much about urban spaces and yet I feel that the 21st century conversation is so much about this tension between, I guess, urban and rural. Was that part of the motivation for the Polish Pavilion, this idea to explore how architecture can rethink rural living? Well, I think that you quite nailed it. We open up the description of the pavilion with a very simple observation that Nowadays, the 93% of the territory of Poland is considered by the administrative division as a rural landscape. What does it mean? We actually don't know. It's 93% of the rural areas and 7% of the cities. It means that the villages, that the landscape which you can see on this panoramic object is somehow all considered to be a countryside. It is not an idyllic countryside that people do usually imagine. It is a landscape which is constructed by the variety of the transforming elements inside. So this tension which you described up there is a very ambition of this project to think about the existing landscape and somehow make two steps into the future and reimagine the possibilities of the countryside. How do we imagine the ways of living and producing, working basically, inside of these spaces? So what do we have in here in the pavilion is the, in the center of the space, six projects by six invited European teams. We ask them, to think about these possible ways of living and working in the countryside, but from the few perspectives, from the perspective of territory, settlement, and dwelling. Some are quite abstract. I want to wander over to one that's uh, a model that looks like it's built from salt. Do explain. This is a very metaphoric uh, explanation of this project because the project is partly radical but derives from the real condition. What do we have in here is the forecast of the situation in which forestry becomes most important subject during the hardships of the climate condition, no? And what we have in here is that uh, we define the forestry as the subject of the rural areas, which has to be given much more attention. So forests are growing. There is a new metabolic condition which makes fauna and flora somehow grow rapidly in such a way that the villages are disappearing. This project presents precisely such a part of the house, a section of the house, which is overgrown by this metabolic condition. And what happens in future is that people have to find their new ways of inhabitation inside of the forest, inside of the small villages, find the new typology of living somehow in peace with the nature. So just to be clear, the sort of crystals, the salt crystals that are covering what looks like part of a house, we can see a sofa covered, it's just trying to get across this idea that we need to let nature sort of back in, that we need to learn to live 
and to develop in symbiosis with nature. Yes, it's about adaptation very much, right? It's about the possibility always to find your own way with the nature in the condition when somehow you are not able to dictate your own rules, right? Because nature is becoming much more important in order to sustain your possibility of life on Earth. I mean, this is fiction, but let's remember that fictions are used in architecture to interrogate society and somehow to think if you want this future or not. Basically, if you come back to the major exhibitions from the 60s and 70s, like of Super Studio, this was their role, to confront the society with the major problems that were forecast in the future. And we use architecture, and we use this architectural fiction as a tool to reimagine the future that we want to live, so that we make the two steps forward in order to make one step back and think about tomorrow. And I guess that's the whole point of the Venice Biennale now, this idea that you want to start a conversation. And obviously there's members of the public here, perhaps fewer than in previous years due to coronavirus, but there's also architects from all over the world. Is part of the point of this that you want other architects to come here and think we need to be building more in symbiosis with nature. Do you hope that this can have a real influence? You're right on point to say this, and I would even extend it to the larger framework of the Biennale. There's been a discussion recently that more and more we observe the various collaborations between nations, much more than the presentation of the work of particular nations inside of the pavilion. So this is not only the symbiosis with the nature, this is very much symbiosis between ourselves, particular studios and particular experiences when we put them together from the whole Europe, the variety of the knowledge, we can construct much more better, much more careful and much more precise solutions. I think that uh, most probably the exhibitions is precisely this sort of ground when you try to enlarge the friction space between the society and the discipline, right? This is what you do with the exhibition. You want to communicate with a mass society a very specific idea which is somehow deriving from the local place, yet it is universalized. Pavilion is Polish, yes, yet the exhibition is on the international grounds. Therefore, I think that what you said about the symbiosis is a larger idea of a cooperation between particular nations and particular experiences in order to construct new framework of knowledge, new framework of collaborations. Ultimately, I think rather sort of United Nations more than Eurovision contest relations. Rafal Schliwa, the co-curator of the Polish pavilion there, speaking to Monocle's Ed Stocker. Staying with Ed and with this week's edition of The Urbanist now, when completed, Tropicalia in northern France, not far from the city of Lille, is set to become one of the world's largest single-dome greenhouses. The biosphere will offer ways of protecting tropical fauna and flora, but the heat produced by the greenhouse's effect will also be recycled and even redistributed to a nearby village. So, could this be a part of an architectural model for the future in both rural and urban settings? Monocle's Ed Stocker spoke to the architect behind the project, Thomas Coldefi, at an exhibition at Venice's Squero Castello, organized by Zweka Projects during the Biennale. The Tropicalia project was born about 10 years ago. It came from the idea of a man, a doctor, Cedric Guerin, who is a veterinary, and he had a dream was to build a place that is becoming a kind of a reunion between fauna and flora into his hometown, his home place in the north part of France, along the seaside. And the idea was also to create some connection and get people aware of a situation of some spaces that are in danger on the planet. And he wanted that to be into a building that should be the world's largest tropical dome 
that ever been built. Of course, this topic of greenhouses has been there for many years. In the 17th century, we looked at uh, what happened in big cities, those big exhibitions that was showcasing. Everybody has always been fascinated by natural elements and uh, not always a lot of people have the capacity to travel in the world. So in architecture, there are many examples and one of the latest one, of course, is the Eden Project. Our client here wanted to push the idea a little further in a way that its building becomes also an advanced technology showcasing how design and architecture can address carbon neutrality, can be not only a building for destination, but a building that is also serving another role, which is using the energy of the building that we need to uh, heat all the dome for neighbors, for other functions, for other equipments that are located around the city. How does that work exactly? Is that from... The sunshine, is that something to do with the plants? How does this sort of energy or heat generation that's then used elsewhere work? All the energy that is being needed for the building will be actually coming from the sun. It will be stocked into an air chamber, which is something that is the innovation of this project because in this almost three meter high air chamber that is just above you, in between sky and between the space, we will stock sun heat. It will be stuck and will be heated almost like uh, 90 degrees. And from this central heating system, we will diffuse it and re-inject it for the entire building, but only for the entire building. Then it will be stocked in the ground and then diffused in another network to the surrounding building equipment, such as an hospital that is nearby. How do you think the building ties in, this structure ties in with this wider conversation people are having at Venice this year about how we live together, how we live perhaps more responsibly or more sustainably? Well, I think also that architects are facing uh, new challenges also of helping each other and working together as opposed to the older version where you had the engineers, the designers, the landscape architects on one side to another. In this particular project, in order to make it an advanced building, a progressive building, we had to come up with a global design where technology, carbon footprint, the shape of the building, the structure all work together to make something that is much more challenging and much more responsible. I think this type of building is showcasing how architecture, design, technology and the relationship with natural elements are in capacity to have a lower impact on the carbon footprint. So it's a big step and it's an ongoing process that we are doing every day at the studio. I know this construction has been delayed, but I believe it's going to be finished by 2024. Is the idea that it's a ticketed place that draws international visitors? Are we looking ahead to hopefully a return to people travelling from all over the place to come and visit this place and also take away something educational. Tropicalia has also a purpose of uh, education, which is a very strong mission statement from our client. And it goes from addressing openness and learning experience for kids around, for schools, but also there will be a residence for scientists, for researchers, in order to work with different places and trying to uh, promote change and to protect some of the endangered spaces in the world. The architect Thomas Coldefi in conversation with Monaco's Zed Stocker there for this week's edition of The Urbanist.
UBS has over 900 investment analysts from over 100 different countries. Over 900 of the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in the world of finance today. To find out how we could help you, contact us at UBS.com. Now to wrap up our special edition of The Curator, we delve into the latest offering from the Monocle family. Monocle's special edition newspaper for the Venice Architecture Biennale hit newsstands across Europe this week. In beautiful broadsheet form, it highlights the must-see happenings at the world's most important architecture event and reveals some of the hidden aspects of this great Italian city, from tasty food and drink to inspiring galleries. For those not on the ground, the newspaper provides a comprehensive guide to the Biennale, which runs until the 27th of November and tells the story of a city we'd all like to visit in the months ahead. Meant for appreciators of good design and well-mixed apparel spritzers alike, the newspaper serves up a healthy dose of Venetian spirit, as well as an informed, comprehensive view of where the architecture industry is heading. To explore the pages further, Monocle's editorial director, Tyler Brulé, was joined by our very own Nolan Giles, yes, him again, and Gillian Tobias for last week's edition of Monocle on Sunday. We started our, our Monocle newspapers um, several summers ago because we felt that there was this period when we, we would put our July-August issue to bed. And there was this sort of six or seven weeks. We thought people are, you know, they're on the beach. Uh, you know, do they want to sort of leave their July-August copy on the Sun Lounge? Or maybe you want something like a newspaper. And now it is it is back, obviously, for many obvious reasons. We had to put it on pause. But maybe Nolan set it up for us. A beautiful, uh, you know, lovely co- cover. Monocle Venice Biennale Special Edition. And, um, developed in Zurich, edited in London, printed in Bolzano, and there we were on Friday um, having lunch at the Cipriani, <laughs> waiting for the newspaper to arrive. It got caught in um, in Friday afternoon, uh, pre-Pentecost weekend uh, traffic. But anyway, here it is, and a bit of a thing of beauty, I have to say. It is a beautiful piece of print, Tyler, and, you know, even though we knew that the event was supposed to happen uh, on the weekend, we didn't really know it was definitely going to happen. The the Biennale really went up to the wire in terms of, of whether it would go ahead. It was It's the first major kind of art and architecture event in Europe. So we basically had about two or three weeks to put this together and pull it off. Luckily, you know, there's just so much talent at this year's show and people are so invested in the event because it was postponed last year that uh, everyone was very willing to talk to us. We, we were very lucky with the organizing and allowing us to go in five days early or something like that which Gillian I think we've we've never been able to do before I don't know if any photographer's been in that early before but we got in there we we took some photographs and uh, with my colleague Nick Manise and obviously the team in London we, we pulled this together and you know it's, it's it highlights the event itself obviously and it's a bit of a guide to the architecture and design that you can find there but it also tells the story of Venice it's obviously a city that's going through an, a massive change at the moment you know they've banned cruise ships it's future hopefully will uh, look brighter than its past because it's struggled in, in the years with, with over-tourism and things like that. The city's trying to reposition itself as more of a culture and events hub and obviously, you know, a tourist attraction, but not one with uh, cruise ship goers just coming in and spending very little money and kind of ruining the city. So we've, we've produced this newspaper. It arrived on 
Friday evening in Venice, the day before it went on to newsstands on Saturday. And luckily, even though it was later on in the evening, all the architects seemed to be at the same pub. So Nick and I had about 50 of these and we were handing them out and uh, everyone on the ground was super happy. A perfect approach to, to fine distribution. Gillian. Well, what I love about it is that the Biennale is on until November. It's like a, a five or six month event. And I think often what happens with coverage, it's so, so rich with stories and information. Mm. But the coverage starts on day one and then it disappears and you can't find it. And I think the beauty of print is that this can be here for the month of May right the way through to the month of November. And there's so many layers of stories, stories that interest architects, stories that will interest developers, stories that will interview architecture students, design people, people who are urbanists, and also just general people who are interested in our world and the built environment. And I think this teases in everything that always excites me about the Venice Architecture Biennale. Uh, just uh, quickly before we go, and maybe we'll, we'll end on a festive note, both Eurovision and the Biennale. Nolan, uh, would you recommend, and uh, this is a bit of an obvious question, would you recommend that our, our, our listeners uh, hightail it down to Venice as quickly as possible? If you can get there, you should go, because the, the crowds aren't too big, the mood is very positive, the restaurants and bars are, are there for you, they're all open now and there's not so many tourists, so beyond the incredible architecture and the, the Biennale. It's just a, an amazing time to be in Venice, as, as we discovered on Friday. And standard highlight uh, for you, of course, people can read all about it in the newspaper, but uh, the one thing you have to see. I really love the Danish pavilion because it's it's something that everyone can kind of understand and appreciate. It's all about, you know, this element of water and, and how valuable it is and how much we need it in our lives and what will happen if we don't have it. But the way they've kind of illustrated this is by essentially flooding their pavilion with water. It's like a stream running through it. There's a big floating platform. The curators have done a, a super smart job and it's just a beautiful place. And it's very calming in the, in the manic days of getting around uh, the Biennale. If you want to just sit down for a cup of tea, it's... Uh, a good place to be. Gillian. And your douze point for the best national uh, pavilion? My douze point. Um, I, I think... Uh if I think of Venice, I really, I mean, I, maybe people would expect me to say this, I love the Japanese pavilion. I thought it was outstanding at a time when everyone, you know, the theme was, of course, you know, how, do, how will we live together? And everyone focuses on sort of urban density and, and crowds of cities, etc. What was interesting about this, the Japanese really thought about depopulation, which, uh, which was amazing. And they, they took apart this house from, you know, the mid-century, which was fascinating to watch. Nolan Giles and Gillian Dubias in conversation with Tyler Brule in Zurich last weekend. Well, that's all we've got time for on this week's edition of The Curator. The show was produced by Sam Mempi and presented by me, Carlotta Ribello. Join us next week to hear some of the very best of the programmes here on Monocle 24. Goodbye and thanks for listening.